Welcome to those who are joining us this morning in the Fellowship Hall and online. It's good to be able to study the Word of God together. And during these Sundays of the season of Lent, we've been focusing in on the cross and what that means for our lives. And today we're going to be taking a look at what we learn about the cross through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christian church in Philippi. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're looking at Philippians 2, uh, mostly this morning. If we look at the letter to the Philippians, Paul really loves these people. And if you remember from the book of Acts, some of the people in Philippi are Lydia, the dealer of purple cloth, and the women who meet down with her by the river to worship, the jailer and his family. And if you'll remember, too, from the very beginning, there was a lot of persecution there. It was not easy to be a Christian in first century Philippi. And to make things worse, rather than pulling together in that time of persecution, in the church, a few of their leaders had started to bicker amongst themselves. And it really pained Paul to see these people that he loves and this church that he loved in danger of division over some petty arguments over personal preferences or hurt pride. And so he writes this letter to remind them of who their Lord is both to encourage them in their persecution and to put the picture in their minds and their hearts of what one theologian called the master story, to remind them that Jesus' story of humbling himself to serve and being exalted by God is also the story of how Christian discipleship is lived out in our lives, that what we humble before God, God will also raise up new. Paul calls them to a cross life. And Paul spends a lot of time explaining what it means to the shape and formation of a faith community that our Lord was crucified. And those words have kind of lost their shock value to us, but to the culture of the time, those two words together, Lord and crucified, that would have sounded insane, truly. Because in first century Roman occupied territory, your Lord was the powerful one in charge of your area. And in the best case scenario, you saw him as your Lord protector, the one that you try to get good with, the one whose power you fear and envy. But lords used you to elevate their own status and power. So the best that you could hope for from them was that they'd notice that you're a useful kind of step stool and decide to keep you around rather than dispatch of you. But the stronger your Lord was, the more likely you'd have some measure of security, you know, if you could keep on his good side. And now enter Paul preaching, the Lord I serve died on a cross. And death on a cross was the ultimate of pain and humiliation and shaming of a human being. Crucifixion was the death reserved for those Rome wanted most to degrade and humiliate. So can you imagine how it sounded to say, my Lord was killed on a Roman cross? What power could a defeated, crucified Lord possibly give to you? And other than power, what's the point of having a Lord at all? To the world whose Lord is Caesar, it was taken for granted that every person needed to assert themselves and anyone who would surrender any kind of ground to anyone else was just plain weak. Those people whose Lord is Caesar live like Caesar. They live to use whoever they can to climb higher and gain whatever they can for themselves. You might recognize that attitude. 
Satan was at one time an angel who left heaven to try to gain power to rival God. And it didn't work out so well. Those who seek to climb high for their own gain are in for a fall. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. You see, a life dedicated to getting all you can for yourself doesn't bring fulfillment. All earthly delights will eventually wear thin because selfishness is not where we were created to find our joy. We were made in the image of a different kind of Lord. And our hearts only find what they're looking for when they're in sync with the God of love who created them. And the cross of Jesus introduces to the world a whole different concept of Lord. And it turns the whole concept of kingdom upside down. The event of the cross tells us a lot, but ultimately it's only important because of what follows. A lot of people were crucified in history. Sadly, the stories of too many people ended that way. And if the story was just that the Son of God came and was also killed on a cross, the end, that might be an interesting story, but it wouldn't be a story of hope or salvation. But instead, the Son of God died for our sins on a cross and was raised to be our Lord and protector and Savior eternally. To be our champion, victorious over death, who has been given every name above every name, above every emperor who ever lived, over every power and principality that ever was or ever will be. Jesus is given the authority to rule eternally. Talk about power. But this Lord didn't gain authority by stepping on you. Instead, this Lord gave up all power intentionally to die for you so that in resurrection he could lift you up with him. Instead of seeking to climb higher, he sought to go lower to lift us up. And that's the direction of Christian discipleship. Through the cross of Jesus, God shows us his character. He shows us who he is, the Lord of power and might and of self-giving love. Through the cross, we see who God really is And we see that God really loves us with the love that cost him something. And that hits us deep in a way the power of Caesar never could. There's a poem by an anonymous Spanish poet that expresses this. Sometimes it's attributed to St. John of the Cross. And it says, I am not moved, my God, to love you by the heavens you have promised me. Neither does hell so feared move me to keep me from offending you. You move me, Lord, and I am moved seeing you scoffed at and nailed on a cross. I am moved seeing your body so wounded. Your injuries and your death move me. It is your love that moves me, and in such a way that even though there were no heaven, I would love you. And even though there were no hell, I would fear you. You do not have to give me anything so that I love you. For even if I didn't hope for what I hope, as I love you now, so would I love you. The cross impacts us because it shows us we have a Lord who first loved us long before we could ever have known him, that he showed his commitment to you long before he ever asks you to trust him. 
We have a Lord who shows us what love actually is. So what does it mean for us that we have a Lord who would prove his love for us through entering into the humiliation, pain, and suffering of a cross? Who would choose to enter fully into death and be raised to life to save you and me? What does the cross tell us about what it means to follow Jesus? I think in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he's showing us three main things today. The first one is that Jesus' cross shows us that faith is surrender. It is trusting in God's power alone and not in ours. And secondly, that Jesus' cross shows us that God is present even in our times of suffering. That suffering isn't the end of the story, but only part of the journey, and it's going to end with his victory for us. And third, Jesus' cross shows us that the way that we honor him best is through servant-hearted love for one another, the way that he served us, that Christ-like love is love that goes low. That's the cross life. So let's unpack those. First, the cross of Jesus shows us that faith is surrendering, trusting salvation to God's power and not ours. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Philippians 2. We're going to start at verse 5 through 8. In our Quest Bibles, that's found on page 1722. And Paul writes in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now what does that tell us about the surrender of faith? Well, I think the aha moment for any Christian is the moment when you finally realize that you cannot do enough to earn your salvation from God. That you can't be good enough or right enough or perfect enough, not possible. That that is not the way of salvation. And that instead, the way of salvation is through what Jesus has done for you. That you can't earn salvation, you can only receive it as the gift of God for you in Jesus Christ. That living faith is putting your trust not in you and what you control, but in your Lord and what he has done. When Martin Luther first realized this, it sparked a whole reformation. The truth is, you don't know what trust is until you let go. Imagine for a moment that you are on a window ledge of a burning building. And down below, people have scrambled together with a blanket to try to catch you. And they're yelling up at you, jump, jump. And you can say, in theory, that you trust them that you trust their good intentions, you might trust their technique, you might trust that jumping would be the better choice when the other choice is staying in a burning building, but you're not actually trusting them until you step off that ledge and saving you is no longer in your hands. You're not trusting until you know it's not up to you. And the moment you let go, that's when you trust. That's faith. And that kind of faith can be so hard for us. Can we really trust Jesus alone to save us 
when we know our own sin and our own imperfections, can we trust, is he enough to overcome all of that? Does Jesus understand what he's asking? Yes, he does. Because it was through that kind of faith perfected that he saved us. See, when Jesus walked this earth, he had power to calm the storm with a word. He walked on water. He drove out demons. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He healed the blind and the paralyzed, and he raised the dead back to life. Do you think he couldn't have gotten himself off a cross? It takes the greatest kind of strength to choose weakness. How did our Lord Jesus save us? It wasn't by fighting or killing or shaming or intimidating like the lords of this world. No, Jesus saved us by laying down everything. By giving up every right he had, every power, every ounce of control he could have exerted. On the cross, Jesus emptied himself of everything in order to take our place there and carry our sin. And he fully entrusted his life and future into the hands of God with his last breath saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus knowingly chose to die he completely let go. He was dead. Do you know what that means? The dead cannot resurrect themselves. Jesus completely let go, trusting in God, his Father alone, to complete the story of our salvation in him. Your move, God. I trust you. The cross life is trusting God with everything. Scripture calls Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He was the first and the only to do that perfectly. But because he did it for us, we're invited to share in his victory. Jesus did for the human race what Adam and Eve in the garden couldn't do and what we can't do. Fully restore us in relationship with God, the source of life, by his perfect obedience. And one day, when you and I are in that place, when we are facing down our own death, we can know now that we won't do it alone because Jesus has been there and he promises to be there with us too, all the way from the valley of the shadow of death into life with him in paradise because we are not saved by our perfect faith. We are saved by his, by the perfect faith of the Son of God the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus laid down his life in perfect obedience born of trust, and God, in turn, was completely faithful to that trust, above and beyond what we could ever imagine. We continue in Philippians 2 with verse 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, raised him to life, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
See, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he wouldn't grasp for himself the power and the glory of being Lord. He didn't use his energy in climbing. That's the way of the lords of this world. Instead, in love, he chose to humble himself to serve God's glory by his obedience. In love, he went low to lift us up. And in turn, God lifted up Jesus to the name above every name. The whole Godhead rejoices in raising up the Son who first chose to humble himself in self-giving love. And in doing that, Jesus set the example for how God's kingdom works for us, in us, and through us to bless the world. So first, the cross of Jesus teaches us that faith is surrender and trusting God for all these things. And secondly, the cross of Jesus teaches us that suffering is part of the journey. It's part of life in this world. That even the perfect son of God didn't escape suffering. Paul certainly didn't escape it, and neither did the Philippian church. But through the cross, God shows us that even though life in this broken world will involve suffering, God will be with us in it and through it and bring us into life. The cross teaches us and the Philippian church that the God who knew Jesus' suffering and lifted him up in joy can be trusted to do the same also for us. And third, Jesus' cross teaches us that Jesus is glorified when we imitate him in the cross life by living in servant love for one another. That true love goes low to lift others up. And in Philippians 4, Paul specifically calls out a conflict between two women, Judea and Syntyche, who have contended at his side in the cause of the gospel. That Paul clearly cares about both of these women, and he wants to see this conflict resolved. And what he asks of them is to be of the same mind in the Lord. And he obviously doesn't take sides whatsoever in this conflict, which shows us that it's not a spiritual question that needs clarification or something that really has to be resolved in a certain way for the future of the church. Most likely it was just a personality conflict. So how does the fact that we worship a Lord who has been crucified and raised impact how we live in relationship with each other as Christians? And what does Paul mean by being of the same mind in the Lord. Well, thinking about that conflict, keeping that in mind, let's take a look again at how he starts Philippians 2 with verse 1. He starts by saying, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, we'll pause right there for a minute, Paul is calling for us to find our center in Jesus' love for us. And I think that's really important because so many conflicts really have at their root a question of our value, right? So the first call is to know whose you are. Then it continues. If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, remembering how God tenderly deals with us, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what have we learned about the mindset of Jesus? To have the mindset of Christ is to see 
the way that he sees. And what we've seen is the agenda Jesus was serving wasn't to glorify himself. And it really wasn't the agenda of the people around him either, to glorify them. It was serving the will of God his Father. That was at the center of Jesus' mindset. He laid down his life because that was what was going to bring glory to God his Father. And he did that out of obedience and love for God. So this call to live with the mind of Christ is a call to live seeking first what will bless his kingdom and not our own. It's a call to live prayerfully watching for what will best reveal Christ to the world. And the truth is, wherever there are two people, there are going to be two different viewpoints on how things should be done, right? But when we are honoring him first as our Lord, and when we remember Jesus' self-giving love for us, when our hearts find alignment in what's bigger than us and God's purposes for the world, then it's much easier to see and honor one another even when we have different points of view. Are there ways, even through conflict, that Truth and love can be spoken while valuing the other in the way the Lord has valued you. We are called to a cross life where love goes low to honor the other. But I want to make sure that you realize that can only be done authentically, that self-sacrificial love can only truly be given when you know your own value. You see, the same love God has for your neighbor, he has for you. The same love God has for you, he has for your neighbor. So when you choose to act in a way that shows love to your neighbor more than love for yourself, what you're really doing is honoring your Lord Jesus by acknowledging how he loves and by showing his love for the other person. Jesus humbled himself to the cross for you and me, not because he should And not because he in any way deserved less honor than you or me. In fact, the truth was absolutely the opposite. He humbled himself because he trusted his value was unshakable in his father's love. And even the shame of the cross couldn't tarnish that value. So when you are called to value one another above yourselves, it's not because the person is actually more valuable to God than you are. Because they aren't. You're being called to put into practice the mindset of Christ that shows love by going low. The cross life is a life where love goes low to lift others up. And God rejoices in and exalts in that kind of heart. He uses that kind of heart to show his love to the world. And what a strange way it is that God has chosen to show the world that he is love through the cross of Jesus that shows us we can trust our Lord to bring us from death to life. Through the cross of Jesus that shows us God is with us even in our suffering and he will raise us with Jesus into glory. Through the cross of Jesus that shows us to share in the mind of Christ is to live, choosing as Jesus did, to live out of love for God by loving one another because we serve a Lord whose story is love, love first for you and for me. And in joy, God the Father gave Jesus the name above every name. And so in joy this morning, I pray that you too would give him the name, my Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this reminder 
of your obedience, your love, and the power of your love for each and every one of us. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of the power of your cross, of a love that comes low to meet us where we are and to lift us up into glory. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to love like you love, trusting in your love for us, Lord, that we would humbly offer that love to those around us so that they would come to know your love for them as well. Lord, help us to show the world who you are as we follow after you, trusting our everything to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.